drive a present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Home Star Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by Dee.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham and Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to podcast one two three. One, I'm Peter. Two three podcast. <laughs> that dork over there is Joey. <laughs> Can't believe you continued with that joke. Come on, I thought there you was... were gonna do it with me. No, this time. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, but <laughs> tell you what, when we get to podcast three hundred and twenty-one, you'll do it. I'll then. do it with you then. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna hold you to that. That, that was a, a, a callback to uh, three, three two one, one contact. Contact, yeah, mm. a PBS show. Um, uh, welcome back, everyone. Uh, but sitting to my right, Joey's left, is uh, the Trek West 5 intern. Welcome back, Aaron. Um, we have been away how many weeks now? I think three or four. This has like, got to be the longest yeah. break we've ever yeah. taken. Now, I want to be clear. All of this is your fault. Oh, I, I will accept that. Okay. okay. Just so everyone's listening out there, it's Joey's fault. <laughs> Uh, you know, I had uh, my wife had surgery. And oh then we yeah, had Thanksgiving yeah. with the family, and then I came down with pneumonia. It's it's been a rough month. It man. has <laughs> been. It really, really was a bad month for you. But I, uh, I, I'm glad you're back now. I've missed my special Joey time, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's a little awkward that I allow everyone else to listen in on my special Joey time. But you know, we'll allow it to go forward because you all seem to enjoy it. Um, has anything else happened? Like, do we do what announcements? Would yeah, you got anything? I have a whole lot. No. I guess we probably should announce at this point. We're basically done for the year. Yeah. Uh, because you're going to be going off the next week, week and a half. Next two, yeah, week and a half. And then there's weeks. Christmas. I think we'll probably record like maybe the last Friday. Yes. Of, of the New month. Year. Yeah. Because neither you nor I care about New, New Year's Year. Day, so there won't be any conflict there. So. We'll be off for another couple of weeks or three. Sorry, I I do feel bad a little. Yeah, I bit. do too. You know, it's funny. I, I I was talking to my wife about last week when I needed. To, I just decided I was so sick I could barely talk. I was coughing all the time. And I was like, "There's no way we can do a podcast in this state." And I was like, "I feel so bad." And she said. I don't understand you. First, you're telling me nobody listens to my podcast. Why don't more people listen to my podcast? And then you're saying, I'm letting down my listeners. <laughs> Did you just make up your mind? Do people listen or not? Well, those four people are pretty hardcore. <laughs> you have to be to sit through this for three hours a week. Um, hey, you know what we should do for Christmas is have like a blooper reel. Would require. I, I, I don't believe that you've yet finished editing our blooper. <laughs> you never sent me anything. I gave it to you on that hard drive. Oh, 
Uh-oh. There's conflict on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that never happens. <laughs> uh, well, we, there was an outside chance that uh, my friend John Madsen, father of the podcast, was actually going to join us tonight. Did you ever receive a text I message from him? No. So, Okay. It would have meant he would have had to have driven all the way down here. To the alternate secret bunker. Yes. <laughs> um, I feel bad because he really wanted to be on this week, and now it's it's definitely going to be out a while. Yeah. Um, so I feel bad because uh, we'd love to have John back yeah, on. Yeah, we would. He's uh, Sorry, John, my fault. Yeah. That's okay. That's right. Um, we'll have hot chocolate later on, so well, everything those is forgiven. Those believe we'll have hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't see the hot chocolate, or you can't have it. <laughs> uh, okay, so Facebook find of the week. Facebook find of the week. Facebook find of the month. Month. <laughs> I know who I think is the clear winner. Who do you think is the winner? You vehemently disagree with me on this. The uh, the Michael Bolton <laughs> song. I, honestly, that that's uh, SNL does a digital well, short. Yeah, Basically, what? Andy Samberg does a digital short on uh, uh, Saturday Night Live. That was one of them. He also did the Young Chuck Norris. Have you ever seen? I don't that think one? I've seen that one. Okay, in between on one of the breaks, we will watch that. You I have, will love it. I have seen the, uh, it's the Chronic. What? Those of Narnia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one was good. hilarious. I laughed at that one. As well as Mother Lover and... Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> no. Those have their issues, though. <laughs> yeah. Very bad. Uh, the winner this 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 time around actually is uh, Jack Sparrow featuring Michael Bolton. Ah! I wanted to surprise you, so I gave you the grief over I am. <laughs> that awesome. was hilarious. I laughed. You did like I it. I really laughed so hard. <laughs> I'm glad because I was a little bummed inside because I was like, oh, he didn't like him. What's wrong with him that he doesn't like that? It is so funny. It is. They, they've done another one. I can't remember what it's called now that I just recently saw that was quite funny as well. Aaron's my uh, go-to guy on the Andy Samberg which one okay. talking about. There's a new one recently. Well, he does, well, like I say, he does one, he usually does one every week. Uh, but So that's uh, that's the Bobs. Or yes. The listener Bob, actually. Uh, I I have no idea at this point what prize we're going to give him. Oh, shoot. Is he? <laughs> I, I believe that he's got them all, so. <sighs> well, we've got a few weeks to come up with something. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> all right, we'll come up with something. Try to have it to him by Christmas. <laughs> yes, maybe it's a Christmas <laughs> gift for him. Uh, okay, well, congratulations, Bob. Uh, way to find that. Uh, it was a, a fun rewatch for me. I really enjoyed it. I hadn't seen it before, so it was quite enjoyable for me. Yeah. Um, okay, now, we don't have Brainy's Nook of Darkness. Okay. He didn't send anything in. But... He did he had send a month to prepare something. <laughs> <laughs> the on again, off again uh, relationship we seem to be having with this particular podcast number. He may have just gone over the end, or maybe he just decided all oh, these episodes were terrible. <laughs> um, anyway, so he sent in an email that doesn't really have anything to do with Babylon Five. Okay. So I thought, why don't we just do it at the part? beginning? Okay. So he says, since Aaron will be hosting. <laughs> I am sitting at the end of the so you So you know it's going to be funny with him starting off yeah. like this. Uh, we can probably skip all four episodes 
and talk about something else this week. <laughs> Here are some questions I have. Okay. So again, Brainy Smurf questions to the podcast. How is the Canwich company doing? I think I can probably answer yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, I think they're doing well. They've been in negotiations with trying to get into Walmart. I know this because the owner of the company called me up and said, Hey, look, I we're trying to get in with Walmart, and I need to you know show that we've been you know a legitimate company doing business for a while. We pay our bills, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, Okay, no big deal. Um, and I think they're also... So they want the podcast to really pack them up? What? No, not the podcast. <laughs> the company I work for, Aaron. <laughs> the company that made their, their If you want to go website. legit, you come on this podcast. Is what... <laughs> um, We're getting there. Not there yet. <laughs> well, you know, for the, the canned foods. <laughs> Eventually you'll work your way up to electronics. Then you'll really be in the money. But... Oh, man. Uh, anyway, so I think they're doing well. I wonder if they have a Facebook page yet. Because I know the people who are involved in it, and I just, I know they're not that savvy. And so I'm wondering if maybe we should introduce that to them. And uh, try and maybe help them out. And by we, you mean the people you work for, not the podcast. Well, could go either way. I'm open to I don't that. see anything under Candwich on... Uh... And you're spelling it C-A-N-D-W-I-C-H? Yep. Okay, well, maybe I'll try and help them out a little bit. Maybe. All right, next question. How are Sabrina and Perry, the goldfishes, doing? They're doing well. Aaron actually came over to my house while I was out and, of town was for... petting them? Uh, he was feeding them. <laughs> you ever tried to pet a goldfish? It's not a very successful enterprise. They really fight you on it. <laughs> uh, Sabrina has turned out to be quite the bully. She, she pushes... Carry around the the bowl all day long. So, oh. but you don't think a you know animal named Perry would take that? But apparently, it's because he's not semi-aquatic. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, is listener slash correspondent slash contributor slash scribe Jim's sister still creeped out by you dudes or just me now? I think she stopped listening, didn't she? I think she might have. I think, I, she, no, I think have... she actually emailed in and said, I can't keep up with the pace or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, you know, we gave you a month to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's still listening. Um, okay. Do the Bob make uh, their kids muff their ears when a brainy submission is read? <laughs> I don't know uh, the answer to that one. We don't. Uh, so maybe uh, the Bobs can uh, comment on Facebook yeah. uh, when this comes out. Um, okay. What is Aaron's favorite poem? Mine is entitled one. Uh, mine is the untitled one by E.E. E. Cummings, whom is the only proper name in this email that is actually supposed to be untitled. So, Aaron, favorite uh, poem. I'd have to say it's a tie between The Highwayman and uh, a poem from Shel Silverstein titled The, the Dreamers, Giving, I think. Giving Tree? No. Oh. It's one of the... I'll look up the name and hand it off to Joe. But okay. It's one of Shel Silverstein's. It's in his books. Okay. Uh, next question. Who would win? Yoda versus Byron versus Lord Byron. <laughs> Clearly Yoda. <laughs> I don't know. Lord Byron's a pretty tough guy. Yeah. 
don't know. What? <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer is that Kosh would have killed them already. Oh, okay. <laughs> Should have seen that one coming. Forgot who, who, forgot who was asking. <laughs> um, why is season five so skippable? Because he actually says in, in one of these episodes where uh, he said it through the mouth of Sheridan when he says, instead of everybody trying to hold everything together, they're all pulling at the edges, causing everything to fray at the edges. And that, that was Straczynski writing about what he felt was going on in the production of Babylon 5 at the time. It's just... It's, so, so hold on. Something terrible is going on, so he's going to write about that and end up making it terrible? I don't think it was intentional. I think oh, it was okay. a side effect of the fact that there was just too much. He was trying to do too much. He was depressed over the loss of Christian, Claudia Christian. It's just all the things over the years that stacked up on top of him. And, you know, it, it shows up in season five. Okay, Aaron? It's because you're watching the parts that have telepaths in it. <laughs> if you skip those, just fast forward completely through them. Anytime you see Byron or, you know... Maybe watch the bester parts, but you know, just watch like Jakar and Londo. This is a great season. <laughs> uh, see, this is why we bring him on here. <laughs> he is truly coming through in our hour of greatest need. Okay, it's we need him. Well, and our need is greatest. So. <laughs> Did you dudes ever watch Farscape? Yes. No. It has Muppet aliens. Hmm. So, Aaron, that's a big yes for yeah. you. You liked it, yeah. Joey. <laughs> I tried to watch an episode. I didn't care for it. I just were you coming in like right in the middle of it or something? Yeah, I and was. so were you confused at what was going on because you didn't know the characters? That was probably part of it. The episode I ended up watching it came across as very much space romancy. Like there was a lot of uh, it builds up between. Oh, no, no, don't give any of that away. We may have people. But there's like a strong element of romance between two characters, yes. right? And, and I The two like, human characters, right? She's not human. Oh, all right. Clearly, I don't know enough about Farscape. <laughs> I know there's two humans, right? No. There's no, one human she's a peacekeeper. Something else. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I believe the race is just the peacekeeper race. That the woman ended up on around. Stargate. So did he. Yeah, that's right. The both of them did. It was okay. Crichton, I liked him. I liked him on uh, Stargate. I've never watched Farscape. Um, I feel like I should. When I was going to, through school in Fres uh, at Fresno, um, it was on. And I was like, oh, man, this looks pretty cool. I should check this out. But back then there was no DVR. Yeah. And so I just really could never get attached to it. I don't have anything against it. At all. I don't know. I, I, I'll give it a try someday, I'm sure. Uh, I think Battlestar Galactic, I'll probably get a shot first. Yeah, you, you, we will be doing Doctor Who and Battlestar Galactic far before we ever do any oh. Farscape. Are we really going to do all of Doctor Who? No. That's awesome. <laughs> I've been working my way back through. I'm up to Doctor number four. It has taken forever, but... <laughs> no, not that far. Thank you, sir. Um, who is your favorite Muppet? Kermit. Whoa. That's weird. Um, Yours? He responds with, mine is Rolf. Oh, okay. Yeah, Rolf's a good one. Yeah. Who's your favorite? I would have to say, as a kid, I really loved it when 
they went to the old guys up in the balcony. Okay. I don't know why, because I know that they were <laughs> the supposed hecklers. to be re- representing yep. like the older crowd, you know, the the adults and whatnot. But I always <laughs> thought those guys were funny. I liked them. Well, when I was a kid, my favorite was always Animal. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. <laughs> I, I'm kind of with you on but, that. But as I've gotten older, I've, I've appreciated Kermit more. Okay. For the, uh, you know, he, he just kind of has that world-weary <laughs> sense to him. Not easy being green. What's sad is the fact that uh, um, the Muppet Babies cartoon show, uh-huh. it never had the old guys on that. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen him show up. That's like, I don't like know. middle-aged guys? Well, as the ones who were there babysitting or something. That's funny. I never thought of that. Or maybe they could be driving around in a creepy van or something like that. I guess there was, a, there was a period of about a year in high school where the Swedish chef was my favorite. <laughs> okay. Okay, next question. What would be the most logical show to do after Firefly? The most logical? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Cosmos by Carl Sagan. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to go with Bonanza. <laughs> so we go from space to cowboys in space. Got to go cowboys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I should have never opened this up show. to you. The most logical show I know of is Carl Sagan's Cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe uh, Briscoe County Junior still has that <laughs> sci-fi. You know what's funny? I just downloaded Briscoe County Junior the other day. I haven't started watching it yet, but I like that show. I just grabbed it off a tour the other day. It's like, man, I remember that show having some good moments in it. Yeah, The Adventures of Briscoe County Junior. He was great, Bruce Campbell. Yeah, really enjoyed him. Yeah, uh, let's see here. Uh, Brainy Smurfs response. I would say that since you went from TNG to a political drama to a space opera, that maybe it might make sense to do a show that is a political space opera. Call it naturalistic science fiction. Maybe the show might have decided to throw in the towel before spewing out a fifth season. Maybe it also has a showrunner who wrote the majority of both of your favorite TNG episodes. Maybe this show will have drastically more hot chicks than our beloved Babby Five. And maybe this show has no Vorlons uttering meaning, uh, meaningless? uttering meaningless utterances about bristles and farts. I mean, art. Later, dudes. What Brian. show is he talking about? I, I don't know. Maybe like Century City? He doesn't actually say. I am a political space opera. Battlestar Galactica? Yeah, I was wondering if it was Battlestar it's Galactica. It's not really political. Have you ever seen Century City? Where it's the... No. Um, I've never even heard of it. It's not so I've much heard political. It. It's, but it's a... It's but not, it's not I haven't space. heard of it. It's futuristic. It's futuristic, but it's not mm-hmm. in outer space. It's got to be talking about Battlestar Galactica. Because it's more, so. right? I don't know. Yeah, because they only went four seasons... And there are tons of hot chicks. And it, and it had Ron Moore. Yeah. Who was on TNG. We'll never know. We'll never get an answer from That's him. unfortunate. But this is the last communication that Brainy Smurf had before he passed. <laughs> <laughs> I made that up. 
Joey's Culture Corner. Joey's By the way, thank you for corner. the questions, uh, yeah. Brandy. That, that, that was fun. That. that was really, really fun. It's good to get a little something like that, a little different. I like that. All right, Joey's Culture Corner this week is Book One of Heir to Power by Michelle Pogue, and the title of the book is The Healing Crystal. <laughs> this is a book that was given to me to review. Oh, okay. So uh, I think I mentioned before on the podcast that from time to time I'm asked to review books. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll just start off by reading the little note that's inserted here in the front cover of the book to the reviewers. <gasps> oh, crap. I forgot. People sent in book suggestions. Oh, I was supposed to choose a new book tonight. Okay, let's do that after... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I just suddenly realized that I had not planned for that. Continue. After reading the first printed copy of Heir to Power, I have discovered errors in the first printing. <laughs> Fair not. The errors were corrected and new files submitted to all of the fulfillment outlets, including Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, and Borders. <laughs> no more Borders! <laughs> Oops. Such is the nature of the publishing process. These things take some time to catch and fix. Fortunately, I have several copies of the original manuscript I'm willing to give away. I sincerely hope you enjoy the story and will tell your friends about it, knowing future books will have, a, will have better editing. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe like the Philosopher's Stone, an original copy of Heir to Power might be worth something someday. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll just go ahead and give my assessment of that... Uh, so this the, book the odds of that. <laughs> this book hasn't come out yet. It has not come out yet. No. Um, this this so the the book is uh, post apocalyptic near future science fantasy. Okay. Um, the main characters are a bunch of people who live basically like uh, Native Americans. Oh, or, dang! I was hoping you were going to say monkeys. No, no, a little bit more advanced than that. But the group, not the. <laughs> well, when you go with post-apocalyptic near future, I think Planet of the Apes. Planet I mean, of the that, Apes, that's sure. the yeah. quintessential. <laughs> that's the standard we hold up for that. Um, so some some event that we don't know, we don't ever find out in the course of the book because it's about 700 years since whatever the apocalypse was. The entire Earth has been thrown back to about the the period of the Wild West, technologically speaking. But there's one group of uh, people who live at the base of Mount Rushmore. They don't know what this mountain is with these <laughs> giant faces on it. They worship them as gods. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, they have, in their, in their clan, they have a crystal that glows, and they believe that it has healing powers. And they've been told they have to protect this crystal against everyone, and everyone in the world is trying to take it from them. So they have basically shut down the whole valley where the um, the monument is and they they hide from people they, they, if anybody gets in you either have to join the, com the community or die those are your options because you cannot leave uh, and uh, the, so here in the first book it's about how uh, a plague tears through the the population of this small village and they know from their ancient writings that have been passed down for the past 700 years, that they have to keep 180 people in their community or they become too interbred. <laughs> okay. They don't know what the word genetics means, but they know that there's something about this thing called genetics that means they have to have at least 180 people. So they actually go out into the world to find some people to bring them back into the community to mix in some new bloodlines. Um, 
as as far as the book itself goes, I'm not going to give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It, it, there's just nothing remarkable either way. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't really great either. It was fun. I you know I read the first thirty pages and I thought I'm going to hate this book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I my biggest problem is the spelling of the characters' names. It couldn't possibly have been made more awkward, in my opinion, <laughs> to the point where every time you come across the character's name, you have to stop and read the word because there's no corollary to names in our culture. Not even like loose. You know, at least like Londo sounds like a name that you might potentially run across. Um, but it's just like they're impossible to pronounce names. And, and so it just made it very jarring. Every time I read the character's name, I had to stop and, okay, it's, it's that character. You just didn't come up with your own alternate pronunciation. I, I tried. I, I tried and I failed every time. It just never <laughs> felt right. I that's how I ended up getting through like the Tolkien stuff. I just I didn't ever read it the right way. I just See, I Tolkien the word gave me a pronunciation gave... guide. I went to the back and I learned how to pronounce that one. <laughs> Clearly, I was not smart enough. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, it was okay. I, I, I certainly don't think she has the next Harry Potter on her hands. So let me ask you this. But that's a good thing in your estimation, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, you still have to write a review for this. Yes, it has to be published tomorrow morning. Yeah. Are you planning to be honest yes. about it? Oh yeah, you are. Yeah. Did you not see my review about the one, the Star Scout Rising one? I uh, I ripped that guy's editor a new one. I said, oh, hold on. There's a difference between ripping the editor a new one and ripping the story. Well, my because what I'm hearing from you about this story is pass. Yeah, and that's what I'll say. I'll say I was neither you know neither thrilled nor nor bothered by it. It was it was mediocre. I, I would probably use the word mediocre three or four times in my review. Use lukewarm and tepid. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the thesaurus there. You're welcome. Um, no, so the the book Star Scout Rising, which was the first one I ever reviewed I for that people. one. I do remember that one. I enjoyed the story. But the editing was so bad that it just it yanked me out of the story every thirty or forty words. Okay, I did find some fairly major editing flaws in this one. Hopefully, she caught them all because she made the note up front that yeah. she did notice some of them. There were some pretty bad ones in here. I, I'm going to go ahead and say I have no idea which ones got caught and which ones got missed. Sure, I think they missed all the names. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they probably did miss all the names. So uh, that is. Heir to Power, Book One, The, the Healing, Healing Crystal. Crystal by Michelle Pogue. And Joey gives it a fist. <laughs> which a, is. A flat head. <laughs> which is indifferent. Um, okay, well then, uh, let's see here. Let's move on to episodes. Yep, move on to episodes. Alright, if we have to. It's <laughs> uh, pretty cool that you get to do that with books that haven't come out yet. Yeah. A uh, friend of mine, Howard Taylor, the guy that writes the Slot Mercenary comics. He does that as well. And his daughter got his hand on one of the books that he was doing. And she came up to him and she said, Dad, I just finished it. When does the next book come out? He says, well, that one doesn't even come out for three months. So I'm guessing a while. <laughs> Dynamite. This kid is gold, man. You see this? He's making it interesting. Uh, he actually already told me that joke oh. a couple of weeks ago. I thought you'd like it, though. It was a good retelling. Um, we are going to be covering episodes 9 through 12 of Babylon 5, Season 5. And uh, we'll start off with In the Kingdom of the Blind. An unknown military force is attacking members of the Interstellar Alliance. 
Londo and Jakar visit Centauri Prime. Hey, am I right in assuming that you don't really care for these episodes this week? No, they're not the best episodes, that's for sure. Some are okay. There's some good stuff in them, I think. Okay. 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 Not this one, necessarily. <laughs> this is not the best episode of the week. I liked the last one. When we get to the Ragged Edge, that's the one I liked. There was some good stuff in that, I thought. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, I also liked uh, Tragedy of Telepaths for... Oh. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about why. This is going to be like the first like thirty minute review of. Uh, you're, you're just going to tell the ones you like, and then and we're done. <laughs> See you after Christmas. Uh, aren't you glad you waited a month for that? <laughs> okay, so in the kingdom of the blind, and to be fair, I it's been like a week and a half now since I've watched these episodes. I rewatched them this week. You did, oh, you poor soul. Um, okay, so we've got random attacks happening. Just who knows? Some somebody is out there attacking them, yep. and apparently it's such a thorough attack. There's no survivors. We have no information about what's no going on. No sensor readings. Nothing. Londo and Shikar return to Centauri. Yep. And um, the Centauri regent is acting really weird. Which, by the way, I did enjoy the... The regent? Oh, he's awesome. The regent, sure. Uh, Absolutely. But when Londo uh, and uh, Shikar come back in, and Shikar is just sort of like, you know, strutting around, and everybody's like, what is this thing here? That was one of the few parts of this that I actually enjoyed. Quite brave of you to allow him so close without being in chains. But, you know, maybe for everyone else's comfort, we should chain him up. He's like, no, you're not getting this, pal. This is my bodyguard. That was, that was a good scene. I enjoyed that. Uh, oh, we meet the very first, as far as I'm concerned, the very first normal Centauri in the character of Jono. <laughs> okay. Am I wrong in that? Uh, that guy is the first level-headed, intelligent, non-annoying Centauri I have seen. So he's not a normal Centauri. <laughs> Fair enough. So here's my note. Fair enough. I can't put my finger on it, but something about Jono reminds me of Okana. <laughs> I don't know what it is. No way! But there's something in his personality that reminds me of good old outrageous no. Okana. Oh, way! Man. Would he be like the most annoying guy in all of Star Trek The best word that would describe him is rogue. <laughs> it's a callback to a ridiculous line from Star Trek The Next Generation when uh, Counselor Troy talks about the outrage. I thought so she was talking about Han Solo. No. <laughs> he, uh, you know, Jono seems to Is it Jono or Jono? Jono, something like that. Because I wrote J-A-N-O. And it's not I Jono. J- I wrote J-O-N-O. I don't think it's Jono. Jono. Let's just call her Juno. Juno. Him. Juno. Him, not her. <laughs> yeah, but Juno's a girl. Could you have broken that sentence? No, any other he's messed it up. <laughs> All right, I've changed my mind, everyone. He was a terrible <laughs> idea to bring that. Um, you know, he, he's talking about how uh, even when Cartagia was here, things weren't this dark around the castle, the you know Imperial Palace. So it, you know, it seems to be like really he, weird. he's kind of saying, "I preferred the devil I knew uh, okay. to the one I didn't." And so it made Maybe. me wonder, Pete: Would you rather live under the rule of Cartaja or under the Regent? 
because you know exactly what the madness of Cartagena is. Nobody knows what's going on with the Regent. Um, ooh, what a great question, Joey. Thanks. First of all, let me congratulate <laughs> you on that. Second of all, I'd like Aaron to answer it first. I'd say Cartagena. Okay, why? As you said, he's you know you know what's coming. It's you know you're able to at least try to work within the system of his craziness or hide from him. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas a, a just a silent, pervasive death atmosphere is okay. I think I would go the opposite. I think that I would choose the Regent because Cartagena there did not seem to be any way of dealing with this other than we we kill him. And granted, yeah, we finally did that and that was the right call because the dude was crazy. But there wouldn't be a lot of opportunity for you to, to get to that position. There's gotcha. very, very few people who would be able to do that. And even those, those people who were there, too frightened to do anything anyway because... Sure. He's the emperor. We don't mess with the emperor. The emperor is always right. Um, so I think I would prefer the regent just because things are, number one, a little more stable for, I would think, everyone involved. Your, your average Centauri citizen? Yeah. I. Let's be fair. I wouldn't want either situation. <laughs> sure. Uh, I think I'm going to have to go along with you, Pete, and say... Ooh, high five. I'd prefer the Regents Administration that was a weak simply high because I think I can thrive in that environment. <laughs> Cartagena, I would, I, would, I would never know which way he's going to go. Yeah. In, in an environment where everyone's too afraid to actually talk about what's going on, I, I think I'd, I'd make some hay there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are going to be the death of us. <laughs> okay, anyway, Jano is killed. And we don't know what kills him, but... Rather easily. <laughs> but clearly, uh, the, the regent is involved Yeah, in this. and uh, Or, you know, not involved. <laughs> yeah. Choice or something. <laughs> something's going on there. We know he seems to be drinking a lot lately. Yep. Is, this the, is this the episode that we get that line? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, where he... Uh, and Londo says he doesn't drink. That's yeah, he cultivated line. sobriety as his only vice. I liked that. I thought that was a great line. You know, with what we know about the Centauri uh -huh. culture. Yes. That, I, that, I just thought that was a very well put line. You bet. I absolutely agree with that. Um, let's see here. So, Londo is summoned yep, to, the, to region. the region. And so they're sent down this weird passageway. And, okay, they go there and... It ends up being a trap. Jacquard dispatches the three people who were, you know, trying to kill Londo, but this mysterious wall comes down <laughs> to separate them in these caves. Well, it's a blast door. That looks like rocks? <laughs> I granted, it's been a week and a half since I've watched it. I don't remember what the wall actually looked like. Uh, but anyway... There was kind of a stucco on all the walls. It was just one more wall. It was just the same pattern that was on the side walls. That's what made me think it was just a caves, caverns. <laughs> I, I think that was a design choice, not <laughs> not a natural feature. All right. Um, so anyway, some guy from the court shows up, and he's he, he's there to kill. Yes, Vosh or Vosh, something like that. 
He's uh, one of the ministers. Yeah. He's the guy who had given Jakar the whip. Right. And said, this is the guard who beat yeah. me. What are you going to mm-hmm. do about it? Yeah. So he throws the knife. It's flying to hit Londo. And all of a sudden it stops, turns around, and then goes right back and kills that guy. Yep. And then we see off in the corner some shimmery guy come out of his cloak for a little bit. Look at Londo. And then recloak. Now, we don't see him recloak. Londo looks away for a second because the wall starts oh, right, to go right. up. And when he looks back, the guy's gone. And am I right in saying that's another drock? That's a drock. Yeah. Yes. Except less shimmery. Yeah, not quite. Not doing the weird sneaky dance. By the way, everyone, I was just treated to the sneaky dance from Joey. <laughs> oh, you all just, missed out on something. Just in case you forgot what it looked like. <laughs> yeah, which makes you wonder, like... Did they, like, purposely send, like, their special friend in there? <laughs> like, send Bob. Send, we won't stop doing that, Dan. Just send him. Nobody will take him seriously. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. So we gotta got to look at it there, and it's uh, it does look like a, a fabricated type of wall. So it's like, you know, they, someone made it. Um, so we find out it's the Centauri ships that are the ones attacking all of the other ships. Yep. Um, was there a... Okay, then we have the telepath stuff. The telepaths exercise their nuclear option. They do the one thing that everyone has always been afraid that telepaths would do. Right. Seems like a bad decision to me. Yeah, so Byron takes over the Alliance meeting and threatens the Alliance to say, Look, we know your secrets. We're going to start telling them if, uh, if we don't get what we want. Is it wrong what he did? I think you just said it's not smart, but is it wrong what he does? Yes, I think it is wrong. Because you feel like your own mind is your own place. You, sh- you know, people shouldn't be allowed in there. Yes. Okay, Aaron, agree? Disagree? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. You've bested me once again. I agree, Joe. You agree with Joey. How about you? I think I agree. I think it is wrong. So it leads me to the next question, which is, is there, as Byron suggests, is there an obligation to the telepaths? All of these other people, you know, if we, we know the truth, the Vorlons created the telepaths for the express purpose of using them in this war, and the other people benefited from them, are they then responsible for the telepaths? Can, can, I, can I answer you by way of a parable <laughs> that I'm going to craft on the fly here? <laughs> okay. To, to give you a sense of how I feel about this situation, there is a wealthy man, and he sees a bum down on the street, and he thinks, you know, I could really help Aaron out. <laughs> oh, I feel bad about doing that. <laughs> there's a lot of pointing. <laughs> you missed it, but there's a lot of pointing. Um, and so he calls in his butler, and he says, "Butler, here's ten thousand dollars. Please go give it to this homeless person I see down on the street." The butler goes down, and on the way to give the the homeless man the ten thousand dollars, he's mugged, and the muggers make off with five thousand dollars of the money. And beat the living daylights out of the 
the butler. Does the homeless man now owe the butler something? <laughs> That's what that, that is. That is what I see going on here. The 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 people who got the benefit of a third party's interaction are being asked to pay for the interaction of the third party. Yeah, some, I, I some, don't think that they're responsible for that. At some point, Byron says, like, you created us. And it's like, no, the, the Vorlon created you. Well, his point is, you guys got the benefit of the Vorlons creating us, and so you owe us a living. No, I, I don't buy that. I don't buy that either, because I think it's flawed. Uh, I think that whole argument of saying, you owe us, um, just by our existence, you now owe us. I think is absolutely flawed. Yeah. I think a man makes his own way in the world and is owed nothing. It's a particular by level of moral bankruptcy, right? Yeah. To say that you owe me anything just because I exist. It doesn't right. matter what I did for you. That I exist is enough for me to write a claim check on your life. Wait. <laughs> I should probably credit Ayn Rand when I quote her, shouldn't I? <laughs> We all knew who you were quoting. Uh, yeah, I, I just think that that, that, that is the, one of the lowest levels that a person can sink to, is to present themselves as, ah, I'm just a big okay. open wound. You don't feel, though, that society does somehow owe these people who, through no fault of their own, were put in the situation that they are in? I feel that the soci this society on Babylon 5 owes the people something, but for the things that they asked the telepaths to do themselves, not for the things that the Vorlons did to the telepaths. Does that make sense? So I feel like Lita, for example, has been horribly mistreated mm -hmm. by the, the staff of Babylon 5. Agreed. They, owe, they do owe her, but that's because they came to her and asked her for her, her help, and they should repay in kind, and they have not done so. That, I believe, there's a true debt there. There is no debt, on, there's no burden, in my opinion, on all of humanity for the telepaths having been created by the Vorlons. You know what, telepaths? You, you want to collect on that debt? Great. Here's a spaceship. Go find the Vorlons. Go see what you can get out of them. <laughs> Good luck with it. <laughs> this, I mean, this really ends up becoming, for me, when I think about the, the telepath stuff that we, we get in this season, really... For me, it really comes down to what I think I mentioned in one of our previous podcasts, which is the mutant stuff in X-Men, where, okay. you know, Magneto says, we should just get rid of all of them. <laughs> and, you know, there is a, a fight uh, amongst them to say, no, 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 you know. We think we should get along. Right, right. I, I think that society does owe them something. But only so far as, you know, helping them realize, look, these are regular people as well. We need to treat them with respect and dignity, despite the fact that we're scared or nervous of them or they have some sort of leg up on us. I, would, I, I see what you're saying. I wouldn't say that that is a debt that is owed to the telepaths. I, I don't want to make it sound like it is a debt owed right, to them. Okay. It, it is an obligation of we society in society in to accept right. people. It, it is an obligation of society to be to treat all people fairly. Yes, humanely. Yeah, humanly or alienly. <laughs> um, golly, I had another thought there. You're talking about. Well, okay. Let oh. me get, let me give you the other side Hold of the, the mutant thing. 
Okay, go ahead. Well, before I lose this train of thought, I, I will say, all of that being said, that they don't owe them anything. If I were President Sheridan, I would find an abandoned world somewhere and give it to them, just to make the problem go away. Oh, without a doubt. In the next episode, my first line here of my notes is, send the telepaths to the planet. Yeah, oh yeah, just to epsilon send three. them down there. Or to the Mercury homeworld. It's not like we have a dearth of abandoned planets laying around. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. I definitely think that if you give them a planet, you should remove all technology from them. Say, you want a planet, but we're not going to allow gonna you to have... Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you've you blackmailed us. We're going to give you a planet, but we're not going to allow you back out here into the universe to bother us. Wow. It's yours. Take <laughs> wow. it. Wow. It's a little more hard-nosed than even you are. <laughs> Unless you're signing up on board with his Quaker idea, you know, I, I, I don't think I don't think you have to force that on them. I think they I think they'd willingly put that on themselves. You know, I think Byron some barrier, and then they then they become the uh, uh, oh crap, xenophobes. Yeah, is that what the term is? Where they basically say, "Look, we want nothing to do, do with, with the rest any of you. Of you. Yeah. Stay I, away." I, I that's the sense that I get from this community in the first place. I think that that is a problem that takes care of itself. Uh, so what I was going to say is, you know, the mutant human thing, all of the humans are freaked out because, oh my gosh, here's this group of people that has grossly more power than us. And we are at a huge disadvantage because of it. So, yeah, you know, where's the fairness there? How do we maintain control over telepaths and prevent them from getting into my head? That's where I think that there should be... there. It's got to be a huge market to come up with the uh, device that prevents telepaths from scanning you. Yeah, I'm sh there has got to be some wavelength that we can, you know, block to to prevent that. Just make a little Faraday cage. <laughs> Just wear the magneto helmet. <laughs> exactly, magneto helmet it is. Um, okay, so let's see here. There is a terrible fight scene. I wrote that down. I don't remember the fight that happens in it's this episode. Yeah, uh, is it the the Drazi beating up the telepath. I don't your, know. Your one of your people violated our ambassador. Tell us who it was. I don't know. Okay. I don't remember, but it was terrible. Whatever it was, it was bad. And then uh, the telepath protection is withdrawn by uh, uh, President Sinclair. One of the interesting things in this uh, in this storyline that I like to go back and remember is. This was supposed to be Ivanova, not Lita. And I always like to speculate as I'm watching these episodes, how would this storyline be different if it were the character of Ivanova instead of the character of Lita? Because Ivanova was not only a stronger woman in, in just in how she portrayed herself and carried herself, but she was part of the command structure of Babylon 5. And so how would it have been different if we had the character of Ivanova, how would the story have played out differently? I wonder if it would have just ended up being more awkward and could be clumsy in in, in the the storyline. I like to think that in my mind, I come up with some pretty good storylines. <laughs> well, there's no doubt of that. I'm confident of that. Um, I don't have anything else to talk about. I'm ready to move on to ratings. Uh, well, let's have a listener email first. Okay. And. Uh, Oh, we, so we actually have someone who talked about the episodes this week. Moneybags did. <laughs> says, hey guys, well I think this batch is better than season 5's previous offerings, but still not great. Um, uh, in the Kingdom of the Blind. Okay, this is more like it. 
some good scenes on Centauri Prime. Skip the telepath stuff. This is classic Delando and Jakar. Especially with Jakar and the guard, which was a total Jesus moment. Oh, oh, he had been whipped by him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry, it took me a second. Like, Jesus wasn't in this episode. (laughs) I would specifically remember that. He said Jakar in the guard. Jakar, yeah, he did. Byron was less annoying. Uh, I think you're wrong on that. Yeah, I agree. Yes. Uh, His plan to steal secrets was cool. And Garibaldi admits he was wrong about the telepaths. Also a good callback to Rising Star when Delenn comments that Sheridan is sounding like the president of Earth. And the regent puts in a good performance. By the way, I assume the title of the episode refers to the saying, In the kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Correct. Refers to Jakar and Londo because Jakar literally has one eye. And Londo, despite his questionable morals, is Centauri Prime's only hope against the Zhrok. Yep. TV6, Sci-Fi 6. That'd be interesting. I, I, I doubt we're ever going to get it, but other worlds have telepaths. Yes. So, I mean, like, we know Mimbari telepaths exist. Yep. How do those other worlds treat them? We'll talk about that in a later episode. Not this week, right? This week. Okay. Pete, science fiction rating. Four. Hmm. Okay. Aaron? Two. Wow. I gave it a five. I, I think with the Drock being tele, uh, telekinetic, we never knew that before about the Drock. Uh, and the telepathic, you know, they're using their powers to actually invade the privacy of people on a fairly regular basis here for a while. I thought there was some science fiction in that. Yeah, not that good. Uh, for television, I give this a three. Okay. Aaron? I give it a five. All the telepath stuff was crap, but then Londo and Jakar. (laughs) But the telepath stuff was the majority of the episode. I also give it a three, Pete. Um, The Drock are still just a little bit weird. I'm still not okay with the... When... when We didn't see that much of them, though. When it triggers the thing that it's choking the the regent, and it shows the close-up on the Drock's face, I really did not care for that. I thought that was pretty bad. And, I don't even remember. And the telepath. They're just awful. The telepaths are just awful. Uh, the P5 rating is 7.65. Moving on to our next episode. A tragedy of telepaths. Captain Lockley reaches out to Bester for helps with the telepaths who hold up in Brown Sector. Jakar and Londo find Natoth, who has been forgotten in a Centauri cell. Yay, Natoth. Now, is that the original actress? Yes. Yeah. Hey. She Brown. Yeah. I liked her. Uh, I'm... I'm not sure. In fact, I got I got to go check. Hold on. There was something I meant to check before we got into this today, and I, I forgot to make. That While up. you're doing that, I am going to announce the winner of the Peter Nash reads the book contest <laughs> that we had on the Facebook. Page. Now, I, I just want to point out that my initial uh, reluctance to su- submit any suggestions was because what you said was you are taking book requests. So you're going to write us a book, and we got to name the topic? I, I really wanted to give that some thought. So what was the suggestion for the book I am to write, then? Time travel. <laughs> Actually, it was going to be a biography about the starting of Trek West V. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, what is your uh, what's your announcement, Pete? Um, well, I'm good. I I think I'm going to choose uh, one of the books that you suggested, uh, which was uh, the Harry Potter series. <laughs> and I'm uh, really pleased. I'm 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 excited to reread that series. Joey, you seemed uh, really uh, excited. No, no. Um, you said the Riddle Master. Yes, the Riddle Master trilogy. I think I'm going to go with that one. You said it was fairly short that I could get through all of the trilogy pretty quickly. Um, I have no idea who the author is, so I, I don't know. Patricia if, A. McKillick. I don't McKillick. know if they're good at writing stuff. I think this is really the only thing she's ever written. Oh. It's the only thing that made it big enough to get, get Across up Across your radar? radar? Yeah. Okay, well, what I was going to say, I, I can't find evidence either way, but I believe that the Centauri woman who comes in and Londo asks her for her clothing is Julie Caitlin Brown. Really? I think so. That's funny. She freely just started taking her clothes off. Oh, yeah. It's good to be the king. <laughs> He's not the king. He's <laughs> not even the emperor yet. So, you think an emperor is less than a king? Pretty sure it's the other way around. Know. I don't know. You know. It starts off with, uh, as I said, with Captain Lockley calling Bester. It seems really poorly done here, in my opinion, to call up Bester and give him all the cards right off the bat by saying, yeah. we need your help. Instead, what she should have done mm. is said, I'm ready to do you a favor. Come get the telepaths. She, she really could have spun that more. The, the way that they just went back and forth on that part of it, like, oh... Yeah, we're calling Bester in. Oh no, Bester's got control. <laughs> oh wait, now we've turned the tables on Bester. Ah, we beat him. What? Yeah, that made no sense to me at all. Yeah, I'm I say you. this was like the most horrible opening I've seen for Babylon Five, where it's her like giving her own little point of view on Babylon Five. Her personal log. Yeah, it's just a not a fan of that, log. Aaron. No. That's I, a I have to say, scalding review. There was uh, there was at least one. Is it this episode? It's got to be. Let's see. Oh yeah, right here. So here's here's a note I made when she goes down in the tunnel and she takes off her her button up vest to uh -huh. do so. Said, so, uh, well, okay. So Tracy Scoggins isn't the most beautiful woman ever, but she's certainly got some excellent definition on her arms. Okay. She looked like she could beat the crap out of any one of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, because she's supposed to be a military officer, which means she should be able to handle herself in a fight. All right, so um, I mentioned before I wrote down send the telepaths to the planets. That would solve the problem. Get them just off of Babylon 5, then it's not their property. Earth Dome doesn't own... The planet Epsilon right. three. three. Problem solved. Yeah, we don't have to deal with them at all. It'd be hilarious to see them trying to deal with Zathras or Zathras or <laughs> Zathras. Zathras. Okay. Um, okay. So we have the whole issue of oh no, the the telepaths are connecting with the welders <laughs> through massive metal doors. Yeah. Now. Anybody who's dumb enough to put their hand on a metal door where welding is, is going to be on happening... The on the opposite side? That's just a dumb idea anyway. But, well, let's say well, everything's okay. It's multiple layers, right? And, and I mean, they, it's, a, it's a blast. Sure. Plus, so, most of them are just doing, like, the creepy, like, 
hippie hug thing anyway. <laughs> They're, uh, yeah, the, the creepy hippie hug. Um, so, apparently, why, Babylon... Why do we find group hugs so creepy? <laughs> Is that something wrong with us? I don't think it's a we, necessarily. Oh, okay. I, I think in, in you, situation... You're okay with group hugs? No, not, the, not the Babylon 5 telepath creepy hugs. I, I think it's because all of us instantly imagine a group hug between us, and that's just <laughs> No, Aaron, I'm pretty sure you were the only one imagining that. I, I realize you're looking for that level of validation from me, but it's never going to happen, pal. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's just creepy. They're there, Aaron. They're there. <laughs> Um. So anyway, they have the problem of oh man, we can't keep a tele, uh, you know a welder on here for more than thirty minutes. It's like, do they only have the one welder? No, he said he has. He said he has several more guys over in sick bay or whatever. Agreed. So why don't they start rotating them through every fifteen minutes? As one welder gets attacked, okay, now you go over to this other section, take over for that guy, and. We just got this circle of welders going all around, and they're not getting freaked out. Am I the only one that had a solution for this? No. I, how I, are these telepaths? There's no welding gear inside there. How are they adding to the wall? That's a fair question. <laughs> that's true because they were definitely, you know, piling stuff up there. Unless their kinetic power had managed to merge that additional metal. Also gaining pyrokinesis. <laughs> we, we just weren't looking when they had the welding kit out. Um, okay, so we have the Centauri war production apparently is high. Very, very you know, high. I just, I, I have a hard time with this storyline because so I. Londo is crafty. Londo is a political creature. There's no way Londo has this much trouble Figuring out what's going on. Agreed. It just is not viable. Agreed. And the fact that no Centauri aboard those ships are talking about it at all. I can believe that they're... Uh, you know, I, I... I buy that because I've always just accepted the premise that it's just ships and they're, they're peopled with Drock. So the, the crew are Drock and they're just using Centauri ships. Really? That's just what I told myself as an apologist. What's the? What do you gain by doing that? Well, if somebody sees you doing it and some information does get out, it goes back on the Centauri people mm. and not on the Drock. All right. But there's just no way that Londo has this much trouble figuring out what's going on. The, the trouble I have, the question I wrote down is, do no Centauri ever think for themselves? Well, clearly not. It just doesn't feel like there's... You get killed if you do that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's just frustrating to see that. This completely... This entire race of people just completely devoid of one side of what I consider to be a well-rounded... Personality? Person, yeah. I would say that's one of the things that makes Londo such a good politician in his world is he is apparently one of the only people who thinks... Yeah, but if we remember, Londo got that job because he was not that very high in the political structure. Yeah. It wasn't because everybody thought, oh, Londo's really great. Let's send him to yeah, Babylon 5 yeah. as, as an ambassador. No, he was there because yeah, nobody really cared. Nobody washed wanted up. him. Yeah. So, yeah, let's get rid of this guy. Um, 
you know, uh, the what's interesting is the you know he talks about uh, these things happen in a monarchy. He says mm-hmm. regarding Natoff getting caught in this cell and, and everyone forgot right. about it. Mm-hmm. And he tells this story about this princess who okay. commanded a guard to stand there and protect this flower. That's actually based in in real human history. Was it? Yeah, it was the last of the uh, um, the Russian czars. The last princess under the the rule of the Russian czars. Anastasia? No, but like the last Tsarina, the one that was actually like living in the royal palace and becoming a princess and everything. And she gave a similar order, and they did. They had a guard there for you know fifty or sixty years, standing and guarding that spot just out of tradition. So you know, to an extent, it's not that difficult to believe that. In a culture where it's so much about just do what you're told, do what you're told, then you, just, you just get up in the morning and you go and you stand in the spot that you were told to stand and you go home at night and you don't ask any questions. Yeah. You and I would never survive in that environment. We would have been shot by the time we got out of our teenage years. <laughs> well, I, I agree with, with Londo as well. There are, when you have a massive governmental entity, whatever it is, you know, whatever type it is, there are going to be gaps, holes, where things fall through. And so, Jakar is, you know, obviously upset. Mm-hmm. He's right to be upset. But to hold Londo, I felt like he was kind of holding Londo, like, responsible a little bit for, for this. Yeah. And granted, yes, he did have to wake Londo up to the fact of, she needs to be released. Londo's just going to say, eh, nothing I can do. And he forces Londo to actually do something. I think about more than it. anything, it's just it's just the emotional reaction. At that point, Jakar is not being rational. He's got what he has long seen as the very epitome of the failure of the Centauri people standing in front of him when he discovers this atrocity, mm-hmm. and, and just and he just vents. He just dumps on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a very normal reaction. I think. Yeah. Um, okay, we've got a closed session. Yeah? That scene I thought was stupid. Yeah. The ambassadors are just idiots. I agree with you. I... Nothing more to say about that. Uh, you know, there, there's this, there's the whole storyline with the uh, the Brokiri ship debris and the Drazi ship debris, and I thought, mm-hmm. you know, even... Let, let, let's say that it wasn't planted. Is that really... All that definitive of evidence. The Brakiri have never sold any of their ships to any other race at any point in history. Yeah, I, I'm assuming that they must be looking down at like a chemical or molecular level at this piece of metal and saying, "Oh, this is, you know, we know what's made by these." No, no. I, I, I assume that there is actual evidence of it, but I, I'm with you. There's got to be debris floating around through space. I, I'm even saying. The attack fleet very well could have been made entirely of Brakiri ships. Oh, I see. That doesn't mean it was the Brakiri that were piloting it. Right, 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 right. You know, I, I can just, buy that. It, it was, I can. It was a pretty flimsy thing. Cartagena uh, liked to dress up in women's, women's clothing. Any, anyone surprised by that? <laughs> Is there really anything Cartagena could have done at this point that would have surprised us? There was a half a second there where I thought you were going to say, as you raised your hand... Anyone else? Anyone else doing that? Am I right? Am I right? Who else is doing that? Haven't we all done that, everybody? Thankfully, that's not what you said. 
I had somebody come into my office today and say, you know, I have to say, I think I'm gay, and and stop right there, and then say for this. So they were saying, I think I'm game, uh-huh. but for some reason they broke the sentence on the <laughs> syllable gay. <laughs> And so you thought somebody was coming out and, to and, you, and then stopped and like thought for a like a, a probably a full second. And I have my lights off. I like to have my lights off in my office. <laughs> so this person walks into my office, that doesn't look at me, stands looking out my doorway, and says, "You don't have to say I think I'm gay for uh, that suggestion you made." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> All I heard was, "I think I'm gay." You're gonna have to start the sentence over. <laughs> All right, uh, Bester does come back. We have the free Byron, yeah, stuff which is going up all over the place. Yeah, I, so I'll, dumb. I'll have a comment about that in the next episode. And then the telepaths turn violent, like really violent. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so here's a question, and I'm done. Why didn't Zach just go around and start ar- arresting every long-haired human male wearing all black? <laughs> 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 Clearly, they're guilty. They. They seem to have marked themselves, <laughs> haven't they? Um, yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting the rapid progression uh, in a in a gang from tagging to violence. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you're telling me here, Joey, is that uh, um, uh, spray painting um, leads to leads to violence. It's the gateway. Yeah, it's a gateway. There you go. <laughs> Uh, let's see. It's had a couple other ones. Um, uh, the Bracuri, they're described as though they're the Packlet. The Drazi says, You Bracuri, you don't even make anything. You steal all your ideas yeah. from other societies. It's like, huh, yeah. it's the Packlet. That's right. <laughs> it? They are the Packlet. Good catch, Joey. Um, and then, uh, every great fall begins with a single mistake. This was yours. That's what the Drazi tell uh, Sheridan when he basically reveals, hey, the White Stars are going to shoot second. <laughs> Whoever shoots first, the White Stars will be the ones to ride in and, and stop them. Um, so my question for you, Pete, is what's your great mistake? Have you made it yet, or is it to be made? This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the easy setup there, by the way. Jeez. <laughs> um, I couldn't even begin to think of all of the stupid things I've done in my life. There's not one that stands out? I can't think of one. I, seriously, I've done some really terrible things as a kid that <laughs> I look back and I think, what in the world was I thinking? And I cringe at the stupidity of, you know, a tween. Yeah. Uh, yeah when you beat up that box of puppies, it was just... <laughs> What were you thinking, man? <laughs> um, you know, that's a that's a good point. That's an interesting thought because uh, as I watched my son uh, mature a little bit, <laughs> you've you've already pointed it out in your son. Well, no, I'm, I just there's times when I see him do stuff and I have to go. Boy, no wonder my dad hated me so bad. Not <laughs> not that I hate my son. I want to be clear. I love my son, I, but I, I see him do things and I go. What a boneheaded thing to do. Why did he do that? <laughs> what on earth would possess him to do such a stupid thing? And then I think about it and think, oh wait, I think I did something very similar when I was his age. 
what was going through my mind? Yeah. Um, I have to say that, you know, they're, for me, probably the, the biggest mistake, the, the thing that has held me back the most in my life was choosing not to graduate from high school. Yeah. Right. I think that's impacted me a lot. Okay, listener comments. All right. Moneybag says, Lockley comments that a hunger strike is a no-win situation. That's not true. If the person on the hunger strike has their demands met, they win. Therefore, it is by definition not a no-win situation. I think what she's, what she's trying to say is that the person who's on the hunger strike never gets what they want anyway. Yeah, I don't know. And if they die of hunger, the other people get what they want. <laughs> no, I don't think that's. I don't think that's a win. <laughs> I think they look bad for making someone starve themselves to death. <laughs> Isn't um, Gandhi? He held hunger strikes all the time. He won. I don't think the hunger strikes were what won. Okay, I, all right. I don't right. know. Right. I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm glad I'm I, was, I wasn't on the Babylon Five when this happened because I'd have to go down and like. You know, start eating sandwiches in front of them. <laughs> Just, like, this is delicious. Go home like Thanksgiving dinner out in the hallway outside. <laughs> Just okay, everybody, needs to focus your thoughts on how delicious your food is. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, he continues. Sorry, I just had to get that off of my chest. So, no death by vivisection for Natoth. I expected to see Londo try to slowly sneak away as Jakar listened to Natoth explain what had happened to her. Londo's plan is clever. His order to the guard does not countermand Cartage's order, so his chances of being executed for treason are absolutely low, and his plan to get her out was clever and fun to watch. Much better than anyone uh, than, a, than another cheesy outwit the numbskull security guards scene. All in all, this was a good story. Actually, I gotta say, why do we keep have to uh, obey the command that the crazy uh, emperor gave after the crazy emperor died? It's just a cultural dies? thing. It's just a cultural you, it thing. It really is a yeah. cultural thing. I don't know. I think it's a dumb crazy Until he's the next crazy emperor and can countermand it. Yeah. Hmm. Alright, he continues. Unfortunately, it had to carry the episode since the Byron plot was made up mostly of cheesy action scenes. And Byron made Lockley crawl all the way to say goodbye. <laughs> I expected Lockley to deck him. And here's a general question. How do the Teeps intend to protect whatever homeworld they might get from the Psycor? Just saying. They won't have an orbital defense platform or any ships. The core could bomb them to the Stone Age from orbit. TV six, sci-fi five. I like his last comment there. I had never thought about that. Well, I don't think they'd bomb it because the the contention of Psychor the whole time is you're just lost children. You can be yeah, brought that, back into the. That's fold. just a line, though. They want to be able to control them and use them for their own. They want to control them, but I don't think they'd kill them to get that. Yeah, you don't think so? They, Even at the end, go when, to the planet. What, they you know, they like, certainly might go kidnap them. Yeah, but I don't think they're going to bomb them from orbit. It's <laughs> a good question, though. Okay, Aaron. Aaron, science fiction. Science fiction. Four. four. Joey. Wow. Uh, well, with with Bester, with the. Uh, Going back and seeing the view of 
what a mass driver attack looks like from the surface. Mm. You know, we got to see from in, as Natak is relaying her memories, and that scene where they lay back and forth between Natak's version of events, and we're wa- then we're watching Londo's reaction as he's watching it being bombarded from space and stuff. I thought this was really heavy science fiction. I'm giving it a seven. You are so incredibly wrong. Okay. This is terrible science fiction. The telepath stuff ruins this. Hmm. This gets a three because of Natoth. That's okay. it. Oh, okay. Aaron, TV. Uh, TV. Again, I give this a five. Just that, that whole thing with Natoth and stuff, it really just, I thoroughly enjoyed it and completely fast forwarded through all the other stuff. <laughs> Joey for television. I give it a four. I Like uh, Listener Moneybag said, I, I really like that they finally used this attribute of the Centauri. We've been trained our whole lives not to see that which is embarrassing in our rulers. They just they took advantage of that and used it to get Natasha off the planet. I thought that was brilliantly done. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I that's, that, that's the typical thing. I mean, if you don't want to get noticed... Stand out. Yeah. You know, don't be the guy who looks like he's cringing and, you know, walk through as though you belong and everyone th- will well, so think there's, you there's will. A, there, there's a difference there, right? Yeah, there is, but it's the same basic yes. principle, which is don't hide. Nine-tenths of getting away with something is acting like you were supposed to do it in the first place. Right, right. Uh, TV is three. This is terrible. No one should want to watch this episode. This is terrible acting. Horrible. The P5 rating is an 8.18. Oh, jeez. Moving on to our next episode. Phoenix Rising. Bester attempts to end the telepath standoff. Terrible boo. Let's move on to ratings. <laughs> well, hold on now. There's at least one line we should talk about. I took notes, but... Uh, I enjoy being good at what I do, Bester says. Every race who developed telepaths has had to develop some way to control them. Some through religion, some through laws. That answers the question you asked earlier. Yeah, sort of. But that still doesn't protect the other people. So, yes, there is some stigma or... um, uh, What's the the proper word? Uh, Taboo. You know, it's not allowed to... For me to scan your brain, but there's nothing actually stopping me from scanning nothing your physical. brain. No, you were asking what the other races have done, like Psychor. You, you asked in the last recording. You said, "What, what, what have other races done?" Okay, so that's right. Bester tells us that every race has either done through legal controls or through some kind of religious structure. Yeah, like all the Mimbari appear to be of the religious caste. Or are they? Dun, dun, dun. I said they appear to be. <laughs> Joey had the right response. I see. Uh, so I, I just had mentioned it's this episode where we see the most free Byron stuff. This has got to be the worst slogan ever because who's keeping Byron locked up? Byron. Right. Yep. Yep. I'm right there with you. Um. Bester says, you know, something about uh, Byron doesn't ever keep his promises or something like that. And Lita says, what did he mean, Byron, about not keeping your promises? I, I took the liberty of, of rewriting the following piece of dialogue. Here's, here's what Byron should have responded. Later, 
Because being a moody telepath with long hair, I'm incapable of traveling and telling you the story at the same time. <laughs> That's what the line of dialogue should have been. Well, what's funny is, don't you open yourself up completely? <laughs> yeah. Between other telepaths? Shouldn't they already know that he's a killer? She, well, she just probably wasn't paying attention during that part. <laughs> she had something else on her mind. Okay. Uh, I did kind of like that Bester brought up the Asimov laws okay, now, to Garibaldi. Can, can we can we talk about that? Can we? What would you like to talk about, Joey? Well, how about this? What are the three laws of robotics, Pete? Um, let's see here. Objects in motion <laughs> tend to stay in motion <laughs> unless acted upon by equal or greater force. That's the first one, right? <laughs> so here, here's what Bester says. He says, I hit you with the first two of the three laws of robotics. <clears throat> that you cannot hurt me or through an action allow me to come to harm. Right. Okay. Here is the first law of robotics according to Isaac Asimov. A robot may not injure a human being. Sorry, can we amend that? No. A robot. <laughs> okay. A robot <laughs> may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm. That's the first rule. It's one rule. Okay. The second rule is a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Again, I would just amend that to a robot. A robot. I apologize. It's going to be hard for me to get used to saying that. I'm also still having trouble with Iron Man. <laughs> Third law. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection, protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. He only used one of the two laws. Oh, how how so did J. Michael Straczynski get the three laws of robotics wrong? This is several hundred years in the future, maybe... Bad copies of the book, or <laughs> how did J. Michael Straczynski get the three laws of robotics wrong? Well, Besser is clearly a flawed person, <laughs> so really, Besser got. Them I, wrong. I just, I every time I watch this episode, I'm just like, oh, come on, really? Or maybe he just didn't bother to explain what the second thing was. <laughs> he like, says the first two laws, this and this. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to help out, Besser. No. No. But There's, I still like that he no brought him up and he used those. Sure. I hit you with an Asimov, Pete. <laughs> you cannot allow me to come to harm or through an action. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, Aaron, kill Joey. So you'd have to stop me. Yep. Mm. Okay. Um, uh, let's and then see. We, have one of those, you know, we do see the other side of the uh, the... <laughs> The video in the deconstruction of falling stars. Right. Uh huh. We get to see that that event. So you had asked about whether or not we ever get to see that. So here it is. It, it does happen. Yep. I re I I recall when that happened. Okay. So they bring the kid out of sick bay. Okay. After they storm into <laughs> sick bay, they're like, "Okay, it's your job. Don't let anybody by." And so he starts. He's he's got the power to throw stuff around. Telekinesis. Right. So what does he start throwing around? As far as I could tell, just some trash. <laughs> That's laying in that aisle. <laughs> just in things that really aren't going to hurt you. There may be an annoyance and like, ew, gross. That 
you know, that touched me, but not anything that's going to bring you to harm. Uh, you know, I wrote down, I'm sure glad I'm not the actor who had the job of pretending to be telekinetic, <laughs> because that guy just looks stupid. He's whipping his head around. He's like, okay, I, I get, it's a hard job. I'm just glad I'm not the one who had to make some kind of believable emotion there. It looks a lot better than Troy. Oh. That's true. She just looked like she had a headache. Oh, um, she's constipated? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so uh, after Byron has died and... Which, by the way, he kills again. Yeah. He does kill again. Yeah. Um, he he sings the telepath suicide. Oh, again. my gosh. <laughs> so the whole ending is stupid. They've got this pipe, which is just sitting out here. And it's and leaning against it, apparently. <laughs> We've got this big chemical leak, and it's terribly flammable. And you know, some people finally recognize, oh, oh my gosh, we better start shooting PGs. (laughs) And so they sing the song, and we will all be together. (laughs) And then, boom, (laughs) they become martyrs. Oh, so dumb. But you know, then Lita comes up to him as they're leaving the, the station, and she says, "You know, right before Byron died, he gave me all the secrets. Uh, as each one of you goes through, I will give you your contact that you're supposed to get a hold of." And as she touches each one of their hands, she says, "Remember Byron. Remember Byron." <laughs> and and I wanted one of those telepaths to just look her right in the face and say, "Screw you, lady." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I just. <laughs> I just always think that would be so funny. Well, what I would think is hilarious is if Garibaldi were to be in line. Run away. That's good. I like that. Uh, this is like the public version of the hippie hug. It's just, I'm going to hold my hand out and you're going to touch it gently. Uh, and the episode ends with uh, Garibaldi drinking again. Yeah. That's kind of sad to see. Yeah. Okay, let me ask you this. Where is Down Below in relation to MedLab 1? Down Below it. <laughs> are, are they next door to each other? Because it really seems like they're really close. Well, you know, they find this... Uh, what was it? What did he say? Let's see. A small forgotten access panel. That is... Huge! It's big enough for three people to walk abreast. Right. And it's one of the small forgotten ones, and apparently it leads directly to MedLab. It must be on the same floor, <laughs> because they don't have to cross through any other hallways well, we, or corridors. We, never, we, don't, we don't see them take the route there. We see them go into the access panel. True. Sometime later, they come out the other side. Almost instantaneously... Well, per- no, perhaps Epsilon Three set up some sort of field that transported them over through to MedLab we One. We don't know how much time passed between those two events. Oh, well, at least put up something that says thirty minutes later. <laughs> hey, Garibaldi, I haven't heard from you for the last thirty minutes. Oh yeah, I've been, uh, uh, you know, going Blotting. through going through the tunnel. Uh, I don't even care about the whole terrorist bargaining. Is this yeah. a good idea question? Let's skip it. Uh, anything else? Anybody? No. I'm glad Let's... Byron said. <laughs> uh, okay. It was creepier than Car- Cartagia and the Regent put together because <laughs> they all seem to like him so much. Uh, all right. Moneybag says about this. Okay. Why can't Garibaldi have someone else kill Bester? Like, I don't know. 
Lita? Yeah. This would have been my first thought if I were in his shoes. None of Bester's implanted rules say that he can't have someone else do his dirty work. Kind of does. Kind of does. Kind of does. Bester even says it himself. Garibaldi can't directly harm him. So I don't buy that Garibaldi... Right. So I don't buy that Garibaldi jumps back into the bottle so quickly. The hostage scene was pretty by the book. Even the ending with the fuel spill and Byron's big no... Nothing great there. Although I like that Byron had to shoot one of his people and use violence to resolve the situation. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of bloody-minded, isn't he? <laughs> uh, I think it would have helped if there had been a strong character in the group that wanted to use violence as a rival for Byron. They kind of introduced that, but it wasn't very yeah, strong. It, didn't, it, didn't. it wasn't strong. Yeah. But no one in the group was developed very well. A couple of other things. The scene with Byron as Psycop is even creepier when you consider Bester probably didn't care about the transport and just wanted to test Byron. I like how they slipped in the reference to Garibaldi's alcoholism so that the ending scene makes sense if you don't know about it. Why does Lita tell the Teeps about the safe houses right in front of Bester? And why doesn't Bester say anything? Granted, she's strong enough to block him, but it's still too risky. I would rather she had done this off-screen and then told Bester just to rub it in. <laughs> yeah, because she can keep Bester out, but Bester... Yeah, he's just standing there he going... He could get into anybody else's well, got it. heads. Got it. She can keep Bester out of other people's heads, too, because she did it for the command staff. Sure. True. That's right. But, you know, Bester just goes there's around there's the corner. No, there's no reason to... To even introduce that equation. Yeah. I, I think Moneybags is right here. Uh, once he's out of line of sight, he, you know, and they're they're around the corner, he can just scan the, the telepaths. No, because he can't do it without line of sight. She can't. No, you're not understanding. Oh. So, well, you're saying further down where, he, where she can't. Let's say this is the corridor where they're all giving themselves the telepathic high five. And then they go around the corner. <laughs> okay. Yeah, good job. Best, uh, Bester's out said. of line of sight from Lita. Except for we know that Lita doesn't have to be out of line of sight anymore. Well, maybe. Okay. Because it makes my argument stronger if I say maybe. <laughs> I, I'm done. So done with this. See, see what, TV 5, Sci-Fi 5. What you okay. should do is have Bester standing there so she's blocking him. And just have another side cop around the corner going, Hey, guys. Got it. Hey, guys. <laughs> Joey, what do you give for science fiction? A four. You have the telepaths. What? You have the telepaths. Telepa- telepathic stuff is science fiction. Oh, it's terrible. And the Asimov's three laws, I would have given that more credit if they'd gotten the three laws correct. Oh, this is terrible. The entire episode is pure telepaths. And it is pure crap <laughs> the whole way through. This is a two. Did we even talk about the Jakar stuff? That's not in this episode. Not in this episode, I don't think. Uh, it, this is pure telepaths here. Mm-hmm. So, Aaron, science fiction, what do you give this? Oh, I just erased it. Sorry. I was looking at the wrong one. Um, a one. <laughs> I like that you had to check that. Because well, I was looking at the ragged edge accidentally. That's why I said. For a television, I give it a two, and I think that may even be generous. Two. Two. Uh, less of the cultish. Crap would have been a good thing. I, we all know at this point what Straczynski was going for, where he was drawing this source material from, but I'm done with it. 
The P5 rating is 8.25. Oh, oh. gosh. You people are just wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> Pete, what are you doing with that gun? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to our next episode, The Ragged Edge. Garibaldi travels to the Drazi homeworld to search for information on the attacks. The Book of Jakar is published. Yeah. I like this episode. Now, I don't know if it's because of the fact that I had watched the three previous episodes and this one came along and I was like, hey, this is pretty good. You know. But uh, it's definitely the best one. I much prefer the 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 telepath stuff to the Garibaldi stuff in this episode. Yeah, but there was so much better than the telepath stuff. So much. Uh, the, the Jakar stuff's awesome. I'm totally in favor of the Jakar okay. stuff. But the low parts of this episode were worse than anything in the previous three episodes. Oh, oh no, oh. no, no. Well, let's have a, a hugging sing-along again for you, Joey. I, I would rather have the hugging sing-along than the green screen throw a guy over the cliff. Ugh. You can't be serious about that. Yes, I am. That was you probably... hippie. You hippie. <laughs> I hereby brand you a hippie, and you are just as bad Pete, as Curtis Pete, is. Pete, calm down, man. <laughs> calm down. <laughs> Can we just get along, dude? <laughs> you turned into like a weird surfer hippie. <laughs> Isn't that what hippies? Gar- Garibaldi at his at his drunkest will never be as bad as Byron. I, I'm with Aaron. I, I hate Byron, but this this stuff is worse in my opinion. Um, okay. Everything Garibaldi does in this episode, I just find horrible. Like bad oh. acting, bad special effects, bad, 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 bad. I I, I agree. The, the fact that we have to call a laser a precision <laughs> signal light. Okay, wait, wait. That's a, that's one of the highlights. Oh, okay, that's one of the right highlights. To, can't believe you jumped right to that. Well, no, because I want to talk about lasers for a second. <laughs> I love lasers. Why don't we just do the Garibaldi storyline? First, and then we'll do the Jakar one last. Okay, so on you go. I, I, so one one of the things I, I if I ever had somebody who was just like you know I have a few thousand dollars, Joey, what do you want? Let me just buy you anything you want. I want a one milliwatt or a one watt laser. So a one watt laser has enough power for me to sit where I'm sitting now. It's about what six feet to that wall. Uh-huh. I could start the drywall on fire from here. <laughs> <laughs> You can cut a hole in plastic from 15 feet away. You can see them from 85 miles away. I want one of these things so bad. And just hang out at the airport? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is that while they're legal to own in the United States, they are not legal to purchase inside the United States. And they are not legal to import into the United States. So if you manage to get one here, it's okay. But all the ways of getting one here are illegal. <laughs> so you can, yeah, I think you can pretty much you can build your own. That's about that's about the options that you've got. Or inherit, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, I I really want one of these things. They're they're usually about the size of a car battery, and just all the things that like I'm, I'm constantly looking at things and thinking. Okay, if I had my one watt laser, when that guy cut me off, <laughs> oh, no. I would etch something in his rear window. 
It's like uh, when I used to think, you know what would be really great? Is if I had a Gatling gun on the front of my car. <laughs> and I could just press a button and end the stupidity of the people out on here's the road. One, here's the one I always tell Aaron. One of these days I'd like to have a cast iron car and just ram people. <laughs> just, just be like, you know what? I'm done. Run through you. <laughs> the gas mileage would be terrible. <laughs> Wouldn't be so bad if you were on a, like a, a train track or something like that. Probably would be pretty good. Anyway, I, I, I love laser pointers. I have probably six of them. I, I, you know, I, I, I can't not have one. I just, they're and so here cool. I am. I think at... really you want a death ray. <laughs> <laughs> they just haven't built it yet. The, the 10 watt laser. <laughs> uh, okay, so Garibaldi, he gets set up yep. there. His friend ends up dying. And there's a big conspiracy. And he ends up pulling off a button. Yeah. And it ends up being a Centauri okay. button. So here, here's a question for you. There are three of them. There's one of you. They have a bunch of melee weapons. You have a gun. <laughs> Why do you charge them? It's unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's unexpected because it's stupid. <laughs> he should have been standing back picking those guys off. He was drunk. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'd like to put a gun in your hand when you're drunk. That sounds like a terrible <laughs> idea. I, let's make that happen. <laughs> Just for purposes of podcast research, of course. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's going to be awesome seeing him drunk. Do, do you ever see the, the television show called Sons of Guns? Uh-uh. It's on the Discovery Channel. And it's essentially, it's this guy, uh, the, the company's called Red Jacket Firearms. And it's a company where, I mean, they'll do anything essentially with firearms. They'll make something, they'll clean something, they'll design it, they'll... Anything that you can imagine. And the, the things that these guys like are messing around with, like, it's huge. I kind of wonder if somebody ever comes to work... Like kind of hung over, and they're mixing up the gunpowder. Like something just terrible is going to happen. <sighs> that has nothing to do with anything related to this, except it. It's more entertaining we, than what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Only marginally. Um, okay, so let's see here. The Jakar stuff. Jakar becomes a religious icon. You know, a print run of five hundred thousand is actually a pretty decent print run. For first printing or your first your first work, <laughs> I love that so many. How many? Uh, it's hard to say exactly. There was some confusion when it went to the printers. <laughs> well, and, and, and the way he like, does it, he's like three or four. No, he says he says five or six hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, was that the same guy who plays the uh, Talon? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember. It's been too long since I'd seen him. Um, Jakar, I mean, clearly has a lot to teach the Narn people. And... <laughs> Put your face in those books. Well, we'll get there. Uh, and I think it's clear that he should do that. I think that it is his responsibility, not to society, but that's, like, he needs to do that. His people need to learn. And he needs to stand up and become... I, I don't want to call him the moral leader, but... He's he's he should do something. Hmm. You, I actually, do you disagree? 
I liked his line where he says, it's not my place in life to lead. What if they come not because of the message, but because of the teacher? I, th- I think it's a valid concern. Look, I, I think it's I, right for him to worry about that. There is... No. Really? I don't think so. Because if people are actually listening to him, then he isn't going to be... But see, that's the he's point. He's not going to be self-aggrandizing what if, what if, what if they stop actually listening to him? What if they're coming to see the great Jakar? And, you know, it's... It oh, happens yeah, right away. It, it, it happens right away in the episode where the guy doesn't then, want then, to then hear the message. teach anything at all? Well, you're the one who's trying to defend the teaching. I, I am. Because it's going to be better off by doing that. I'm not saying he's wrong to do it. Okay, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying I think he has a legitimate concern. I don't think he does have a concern there. I, I think he is just afraid to do what needs to be done. He he. It's a role he doesn't feel comfortable in, but that he needs to step into. Interesting. Okay. Um. Is it is it with him or with the Franklin where they used the line the nobility of intellect? I can't remember. It's got to be with Jakar. I don't know. Anyway, I wrote that down. I agree. I think there is nobility to okay. intellect. And uh, I, it really bugs me when religious idiots take things out of context. <laughs> as with the guy who says, put your face in the book. Or he tells, put your face in the book, and then he slams the book on him. Uh, yeah. That's it. Dr. Franklin is leaving Babylon. Yay! 5. But that's very soon. You know, Babylon 5 has been pretty good to him, I'd say. Hmm. The mistakes that he's made... Agreed. Some of the things that he's done, uh, advancing his career, things like that. I think Babylon 5 has been a good thing for him. Agreed. How would you, Pete, in his shoes, show gra- how do you show gratitude for what they've done and yet still say, oh, look, it's time for me to move on? I don't know that... He has to. I would just say thank you and go. Okay. He doesn't owe them anything. He did fulfill his job while he was there. Certainly he gained some things because of it. But there is no sense of, you know... You don't think there's a a layer of of almost like personal betrayal there? (laughs) Wow, no, I would not think it rises to personal betrayal. At I, I all. think that's what Sheridan. That, that's what that's what the read he, I get off of Sheridan. Uh, you bet. I think he Sheridan absolutely feels that type of emotion, but it's uh, yeah. I, it sucks when your friends leave. Yeah. Matter of fact, I think I wrote that down. I hate it when friends leave. I I took all of this time to manage to get to know this person, you know. <laughs> And they were worth my time enough that I, you know, called them friend, and then they end up leaving. That jerk. You've been hurt, Pete. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, or employees that leave. You know, yeah. like when uh, Remington left the, the company that I was with. I was, like, really bummed out about it. I was like, yeah, you punk. Okay, and that's actually the, the situation that I'm trying to talk about is... Is there a good way to have that conversation with the boss where you're like, hey, look, I loved working for you. I liked, you know, I liked being here, but I, I just, I have to go do this other thing for reason X, Y, Z. 
How do you have that conversation? You do it. You do it honestly. You have to do it honestly. When I worked out at the Deseret Book Warehouse, I had risen to the point of, okay, look, we don't want to lose you to the point where they, when I told them, hey, I, I'm giving my notice, he said, well, I, I understand, you know, this isn't obviously your your preferred choice here, but, you know, I'm willing to offer you whatever they're paying you there. Please stay. And I said, look, I understand that. I appreciate that. That means more to me than you'll know, but you really can't offer me the direction I want to take right. my life in. And I was open okay. and honest with him about that, and I can't control what he thinks past that. Franklin isn't responsible for the way uh, Sheridan is going to feel. No, I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying from my own Position Are you life. looking for a way out of this podcast and you're just trying to plumb the depths here of finding out how can I tell Pete that how, I appreciate everything we've done so long, but I'm but moving for all the fish. I, I'm moving on to uh, John Madsen. He and I are going to now start up a podcast. It's going to be about the original Star Trek. <laughs> Joey watches Star Trek for the fifth time. No, it would be the first time for a lot of Star Trek episodes for me. Um, I don't know. I, okay. I think no, I, I think that, I've answered that the yeah. way I would do it okay. anyway. I think one of the best ways you could show appreciation is later on when you know, like a lot of people will talk about their work and they'll emphasize some of the the you know worst aspects of their job and just to you know keep a very professional attitude about the the career you had before would be. A way to show gratitude. I had I had one incident in my life where I was working at a gas station and they were they were grooming me for manager. They had you know I they pumped some money into getting me trained at uh, I forget what it was called. I want to call it Texaco University, but I don't think that's actually what it was called. <laughs> Until I go to like their actual like the co the corporate school of management. Uh -huh. Um, and, and stuff like that. And then this opportunity came along for me to actually become a computer programmer and for someone to pay me to be a computer programmer. But they told me, you have to start today and you have to move to Salt Lake City today. I was living in St. George at the time. And I went and I told the guy, I said, look, you know, I, you've been really good to me. I appreciate everything you've done to me. And I understand two weeks notice is really, you know, the kind of the standard thing to do but I've got this once in a lifetime chance here for somebody who doesn't have a high school education, doesn't have a, a college education, they're going to teach me to, let, let me teach myself to be a computer programmer and they're willing to you know, work with me on this. I, I just don't think I'm ever gonna have this opportunity again and I have to take it. And it was a very difficult discussion for me to have. Now, since then, you know, I've, I've basically all the, all the jobs since then, I've stuck around until I was pushed out the door. <laughs> and I wonder sometimes how much of the, I guess, the loyalty I tend to give to my employer is guilt that I'm carrying around for the way I treated that one guy. I don't know. I don't know either. I, I don't think you betrayed him. I certainly didn't give him, you know, what is kind of the, come to be the standard expectation. It wasn't. It wasn't fair to him. I left him in the lurch. Agreed. But anyway, I I, I don't know. I just uh, you know, as I was watching Franklin have that conversation with Sheridan, it called back that moment in my life to me, and I was like, yeah, 
I wish I knew still to this day. I don't know how to handle that scenario. It's, it's just really tough. Hmm. I agree. It's going to be one of the. It's it's the hardest thing to do. Okay. The, the other question one I have for you is: uh, Franklin is trying to say goodbye to Garibaldi. He's got this calling to Garibaldi, but Garibaldi's drunk and passed out. Have you ever missed an important event in your life due to your own negligence? I don't know. I I did. I missed it, so I didn't know that it was even there. Oh, you, you none to the extent that you know that know about. Well, here's the weird thing about that phone call. Franklin even said himself, "I'm not going to be leaving right away." So why did he have to call Garibaldi that night? I don't know. I mean, I get the scene. And, you know, we're all supposed to say, oh, huh, that boozer Garibaldi, he's missed his chance to say goodbye to Franklin. Nah, I don't buy that at all. You can send video messages pretty easily in that world. Sure. Um, so, eh, I just don't buy it. I, but you know, that doesn't answer the question I have, which is, applying it to your own life, have you ever had an incident like that where you did something, you screwed up, and you missed what was an important event or opportunity like that. Well, he did say he doesn't know. But I think that was the, the jokey answer, though. Oh. Yeah. I'm looking for more yeah. introspection than he applied. I, I, I can't think of anything. Well, no, that's not true. There have, been, <laughs> there have been situations in my past, I as I've looked back now, I know there are women that I could have married mm. and I was so incredibly naive and stupid <laughs> at the, at those young ages like uh, honestly from college Look, at Fresno it was, it, it there was were just Sunday you still have time to call her back <laughs> there were two girls specifically that I could think of that I thought the dating pool was small enough and I actually liked them enough that Gosh, that really could have happened. Um, so, yeah, I suppose those situations. Other than that, I can't think Luckily of Luckily for our listeners, you know, having to try to get around two wives, this podcast would have never happened. <laughs> How about you, Aaron? Yes. Most definitely. No, I'm not going no. to share any of them, but the, there one? have been. Let's one. Um, if you need help, I can give you a couple. <laughs> oh, you jerk. <laughs> you no, leave really him alone. You really leave him can. alone. I was there for some of them. He does not have to share anything. <laughs> I'll, I'll share one. Um, you remember Brian Davies? Yeah. Um, at one point, he contacted me. I, um, he, he, had, he was trying to get me a chance to work with him on the uh, where he did the Broadway plays when they went when they went off Broadway and they okay, the touring company. Yep, um, he he was talking about getting me in there, and I let that pass by. That's that's one of the big ones that I really really regret because I was thinking I, I really love theater. Our, our our father tried to hook you up with a job as an electrician mm. just a few years back. Yeah, and you never you never called the guy back, and you know I know that's something you want to do with your life and. There have been a few. For myself, I think the, the biggest one, um, and I, I, I hope I haven't told this story before on the podcast, but... Because uh, fresh pain is always the best. Yes. <laughs> when I got off of my LDS mission, uh, in, in an LDS mission, for our listeners who don't know, 
when you get home, there's a, a fairly, it was common at the time, there would be a, somewhat of a to-do in your neighborhood uh, called a homecoming, where at the next church meeting, then everybody kind of gets there, and, and it's kind of like a victory lap, I guess, is yeah. the best way to put it. Sure. Um, the night before my mission homecoming, I worked a triple shift. I actually worked from morning all the way until the, the midnight to 8 a.m. shift, and went home to get dressed, sat down in a chair, fell asleep, and slept through my own mission homecoming. Never, Never made it, it uh, to my own mission homecoming. I actually where were your showed parents? up like right at the end. I showed up right at the end. Like right as they were saying the closing prayer, I walked in. <laughs> oh my gosh. Where were your parents to say, hey, hey Joey, it's time to go to church? Well, I wasn't living at home at the time. Oh my gosh. I think the question is, where was Clark? Didn't he know where he lived? Clark yeah. left me. Yeah, that's a good question. Where was Clark? And where was Todd, who promised not to leave St. George without me? Yeah, so, you know, but it, I mean, it was it was certainly a moment that to this day I'm like, oh, I cannot believe I slept through that. They wronged you, <laughs> and now they owe you. Okay. Anyway, just something interesting. Uh, listener comments. Yes. Uh, Moneybags finishes up, which, by the way, we should say thanks to Moneybags. Absolutely. Yeah. For being the one person who managed to send in <laughs> comments about these episodes. Um, we really appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, he says, Garibaldi's a drunk now. So an outside force is controlling him and making him do things that hurt his friends. Again. Boring. I want to see Garibaldi redeem this season. Not a rehash of last season. The Jakar plot was weak, although there were some good moments, especially when Narn, whose name I can't remember... Promises to personally kill Jakar if a cult of personality <laughs> develops around him. That's the second time something like this has been mentioned on Babylon 5. Garibaldi says it about Sheridan during Season 4. I think the cult that JMS belonged to may have something to do with this. Cults generally work like this. And I bet this is a lesson that JMS has learned personally. TV 4, Sci-Fi 3. Boy, that's a little low. Until next time. Okay. Pete? Science fiction. I give this a six. I think this is better science fiction than we saw in any of the rest of this. Okay. Aaron? Four. I give it a three. I think this is probably the worst science fiction we've seen so far this week. The the beginning of... This is what I imagine the beginning of Jaquan was like. How can you give that such a, I, a I, low rating? I, I don't consider that science fiction-y. What is it then? It's Are you dare gonna parse this out into fantasy now? Yes. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> what, Are you what, serious? Do, you, do, I, do I dare? Of course that's exactly what it is. They're two of the same thing that you said so many times. <laughs> you are full of crap. <laughs> Pete television rating. Uh I go to five. It's it's Reasonable, passable, I can see people watching. I gave this a seven. Mm. Wow. Just this Jakar stuff, I, I will admit that it didn't get higher because of Garibaldi, but just the, the whole, you know, watching Jakar become this, this icon, and you can already see that it, it bothers him. It was just really good TV. I give this a two for the Jakar scenes. 
Every scene that had Garibaldi in this wow. episode for me was an absolute failure. Please. Every single one of them stunk to the high heavens. I don't understand how we could have been so far off I know, on this right. week's episodes. I really don't. I don't. I, I'm going to blame this on your uh, bronchial pneumonia. Okay. Uh, what a P5 rating? 8.57. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Home Starmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening. Good to see you again. So good to see you again.